Good evening, everyone. And uh, greetings to one and all who are gathered here in our Cathedral of St. Michael, all those who are watching this through Salt and Light and through television and on the Internet. Today we have uh, Sirach, uh, Chapter 17. And uh, it's a very beautiful part of the book of Sirach. Whenever we have the wisdom literature, as especially we've noticed last month, um, we, it's very challenging. It sort of sticks a point into us to make us think about how we're living our life. Very dramatic and, you know, makes us think. And that's a good thing. But sometimes the wisdom literature is simply astonishingly beautiful, poetic, majestic. We find that especially in the last parts of the book of Job. We find it in the Psalms. We find it in the book of uh, uh, Kohilat or Ecclesiastes, some of the beautiful poetry. And one of the things which wisdom literature does, and certainly the book of Sirach does in different places, is celebrate the glory of God made manifest in nature. It really celebrates that. And that's important for us to think about. The prophet says, thus says the Lord through divine revelation. Whereas the wise person, the sage, says, have you noticed? Look at the tree, look at the flower, look at the bird, look at the sun. And that's a way of drawing us closer into an awareness more indirect than the prophet, but no, no less a kind of a natural awareness of the glory of God. It's the kind of thing we notice in the first part of the letter to the Romans where it says how in natural things we can see a kind of reflection of the presence of God. And so that's what we find in many different parts of the Proverbs and the, the wisdom writings. This is one reason why wisdom literature is very effective as a kind of bridge to people who do not have faith. Because if you don't believe in the Lord, someone saying, thus says the Lord, is not very effective. But everyone can marvel at a sunset or a sunrise or a mountain or a flower. And as we make that natural connection through beauty, we can be drawn to truth and through truth to goodness. And so that is the way we find very often, and certainly in this evening's passage of the book of Sirach, chapter, chapter 17. It is divided into two sort of sections, you might say. The first part is this marveling at the gifts God has given to us. And the second part, though, gets back to that sharp point that we see very often in wisdom literature. It calls for repentance. It begins with glory and beauty and majesty, and it ends with dust and ashes, which is appropriate because we're coming up to Ash Wednesday. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The beauty of creation, the challenge to repent, those are both dimensions of who we are. This passage, this chapter, shows us as stewards of creation. We are entrusted with our own lives. We're entrusted with time, most importantly. We're entrusted with the world. We are stewards. We don't own it. We're just entrusted with it. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We're given this, we're allowed to be creative, we're allowed to experience the beauty and see God through that, but we're responsible. And so the steward can also become a sinner. If the steward reaches too far and seeks to become his own master, then he goes off and needs to repent. That, of course, is what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. 
It's what we do all the time. But it starts with a deep appreciation of the beauty of nature. In that, it is very much like one of my favorite psalms, which is prayed on Saturday mornings in the, um, one of the Saturdays in the divine office. Psalm 8. It begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it ends, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It begins and ends with the same thing. But it's the filling of the sandwich that's the most important part between those two slices. It's the filling. And what it talks about is what Sirach chapter 17 talks about, especially the first part. You whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouths of babies and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little less than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the spirit that the great G.K. Chesterton speaks of very often, the spirit of wonder. And in that we can begin our journey to the Lord. Chesterton said the world is not lacking in wonders. It is simply lacking in the spirit of wonder. And if we can develop that more fully, and I think Sirach 17 helps us to do that, then we will also come to that other dimension, which is, Lord, forgive me, when I have not been a faithful steward, especially of the time you've given me, when I have thought I can master and control, then simply I must receive with gratitude and share with others. So in that spirit, we will now pray chapter 17 of the book of Sirach. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, help us to get rid of those things which are a barrier to the pathway to our hearts. All the sins cares, the heaviness, all the things that too often fill our hearts. Make it hard for us to hear you, O Lord, and to hear our neighbor. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Free me, O Lord, from the double darkness of sin and ignorance in which I was born. Speak, Lord. 
your servant is listening. The Lord created man out of earth and turned him back to it again. He gave to men few days, a limited time, but granted them authority over the things upon the earth. He endowed them with strength like his own and made them in his own image. He placed the fear of them in all living beings and granted them dominion over beasts and birds. He made for them tongue and eyes. He gave them ears and a mind for thinking. He filled them with knowledge and understanding and showed them good and evil. He set his eye upon their hearts to show them the majesty of his works. And they will praise his holy name to proclaim the grandeur of his works. He bestowed knowledge upon them and allotted to them the law of life. He established with them an eternal covenant and showed them his judgments. Their eyes saw his glorious majesty and their ears heard the glory of his voice. And he said to them, beware of all unrighteousness. And he gave commandment to each of them concerning his neighbor. Their ways are always before him. They will not be hid from his eyes. He appointed a ruler for every nation, but Israel is the Lord's own portion. All their works are as the sun before him, and his eyes are continually upon their ways. Their iniquities are not hidden from him, but all their sins are before the Lord. A man's almsgiving is like a signet with the Lord, and he will keep a person's kindness like the apple of his eye. Afterward, he will arise and requite them, and he will bring them recompense, their recompense on their heads. Yet to those who repent, he grants a return, and he encourages those whose endurance is failing. Turn to the Lord and forsake your sins. Pray in his presence and lessen your offenses. Return to the Most High and turn away from iniquity and hate abominations intensely. Who will praise to the Most High in Hades, as do those who are alive and give thanks? From the dead, as from one who does not exist, thanksgiving has ceased. He who is alive and well sings the Lord's praises. How great is the mercy of the Lord, and his forgiveness for those who turn to him. For all things cannot be in men, since the Son of Man is not immortal. What is brighter than the sun? Yet its light fails. So flesh and blood devise evil. He marshals the hosts of the height of heaven. But all men are dust and ashes. We should ask ourselves always with every passage of Scripture, what does this say to my head, to my heart, to my hands? To know, to love, to serve. To know more about the world and the Lord who made it and all of us. 
to be drawn in love to the Lord who is so gracious to us and to our neighbor, and then to do something, to show it in action, and particularly to repent from the ways we have walked astray, we've gone down the wrong path. Head, heart, hands. These are the three things we should think about as we pray in Lectio Divina about the word of the Lord. The Lord created man out of earth and turned him back to it again. He gave to men few days, a limited time, and granted them authority over the things upon the earth. He endowed them with strength like his own and made them in his own image. He placed the fear of them in all living beings and granted him dominion over beasts and birds. Let's just marvel at that. Thank you, Lord, for this universe, this world in which you've placed us. What wonders. How great is your name, O Lord our God, through all the earth. The Lord created man out of earth and turned him back to it again. We are created, we are earthly. We have the gift of life and thought within us, but we're all very earthly. We're, we're human, we're fleshly. Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And that's what this passage ends with. He marshals the hosts of the height of heaven, but all men are dust and ashes. We're incarnate spirits made out of earth, of material, flesh, divine, human, the gift that God gives us, the divine gift of life. We're not spirits trapped in fleshly cages or prisons. That's the false idea floating around these days. It's been going around for years. It used to be called Gnosticism, which means sort of pure mind, Pure knowledge, pure spirit is what we really are. And our bodies, the fleshly, is just sort of like a cage, a, a prison, a shell. We husk, you get rid of it. It isn't really us. The word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. We reflect upon the resurrection of the body. That's why ancient times, all people have always treated the human body with respect. We're not just floating spirits. We are incarnate spirits. That's why we don't sort of shift body to body. That's why reincarnation makes no sense. It's not like you kind of, here's a body, there's a body, here's another one. You know, the real thing is the, the, the head, the spirit, the mind, or whatever. The rest is just trash. No, no, not at all. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We are incarnate spirits. That's also why what we think we are in our heads does not determine who we are. We are who we are, body, Spirit, flesh, blood, mind, person, soul, everything, all together. The Lord created man out of earth and turned him back to it again. That does keep us focused, grounded, keeps us humble. Humble is from the word humus, meaning earth. He gave to man a few days, a limited time, tick, 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 but granted them authority over the things upon the earth. How great is your name, O Lord, our God. We have all these things 
God gives us so many extraordinary gifts, and yet limited time. And then there comes a point when time's up, like that. And so we need to think about the most precious gift is time. Because other things, we money, fame, they all disappear. And they're all external to us. But our life is woven out of time. We give $100, we give money. We give 100 minutes, we give ourselves. So time is so precious. And yet time is limited. A few days, a limited time. That's the heart of all wisdom. In fact, in the Psalms we hear, Lord, show me the shortness of life that I may gain wisdom of heart. And so often in the books of wisdom and certainly in Sirach, Lord, show me the shortness of life that I may gain wisdom of heart. If so much, our life can be so full, both of good or ill, but it is limited. The time will come when time on this earth is no more. And therefore, we should celebrate the sacrament of the present moment, each moment precious, because it may be our last. You know, the sign, I've, I've referred to it before, some sacristies say, priest of God, celebrate this Mass as if it were your first Mass, as if it were your last Mass, as if it were your only Mass. It's a good thing to remind priests. And it could be changed. Christian, live this day as if it were your first day, as if it were your last day, as if it were your only day. He gave to men a few days, a limited time, and granted them authority over the things upon the earth. Let's spend a moment and say, Lord, help me to treat us precious each day, one day at a time, and to give that day to you until there is no more time and I come before you face to face. He endowed them with strength like his own. He made them in his own image. He placed the fear of them in all living beings and granted them dominion over beasts and birds. That's our place in this world. We have such great responsibilities. We are stewards of creation. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has stressed this a lot in his poem and his, his uh, statement based upon the poem and the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, Laudato Si. Praise be you, O Lord, for brother, son, and sister moon. Not praise to brother, son, and sister moon, but praise to you, O Lord, for brother, son, and sister moon. It is creation, which we don't worship creation, but we praise God for it. And we are responsible for this creation. So as the Holy Father and many spiritual writers say, we must be responsible stewards of the world we're in. Don't make it a garbage dump. It's been entrusted to us. And like we often say, you see, in these uh, national parks, you know, leave this in better shape than you found it. So we should do the same when we live. He made for them tongue and eyes. He gave them ears and a mind for thinking. He's given to us tongue and eyes, ears and a mind for thinking to speak, to see, 
to hear, to think. That's profound. To see, to speak, to hear. And of course, we have two eyes and two ears, but only one tongue, which should be the proportion generally. You have, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. There's a lot of wisdom in that. We have these physical senses, which are a great gift of God. Tongue and eyes, ears, we are sensitive to nature and to other people. We are meant to be in communion with the Lord and with other people. We're meant to be in relationship and a mind for thinking. This is the great gift that sets us apart. We are meant to think, to reason. Now that can lead us astray if it gets hijacked by our ego. That's why the prayer that I used at the beginning of this lecture from St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest of minds in history, but a humble man, in touch with the ground, well-grounded. He said, O Lord, the students, he said, free me from the double darkness of sin and ignorance in which I was born. Because if our ego takes over, we can use our mind for bad things. It can make us think we're God and stuff like that. We can dominate, we can destroy. But that's just a misuse of the mind. A mind, reason, shows us the way. If we're simply living according to our emotions, we're going to be constantly bouncing back and forth. And if we're simply speaking and shouting and yelling, we have a problem. A lot of that these days, you know. I just saw a thing on video, uh, you know, just uh, yesterday. There was a very gentle, eloquent politician in England who was speaking to a bunch of people. They were listening, he was speaking, he was thinking through whatever he wished to say. And suddenly a bunch of people rushed in screaming, shouting, rah, 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 shouting him down, shouting him down, slogan, slogan, bang, bang, bang. That's evil. When we shout down people with little slogans. So often when we revert to slogans, that means we're not thinking. And that's very, very dangerous. We use words to shut someone down, terminate the conversation. Very hard these days to have a conversation without having it terminated by people who do not wish to listen to reason or have an inter uh, you know, a discourse of conversation. But before you begin, they shut you down by throwing a word at you. There's no future in that. That's sort of what we do when we're little kids. We scream and yell and try to get our way and throw a tantrum. And too often, I guess we do get our way. But we shouldn't do that over the age of two. And it shouldn't be the norm in universities and political discourse. I'm afraid it is. In some places, some places, I would say all. He filled them with knowledge and understanding, showed them good and evil. That's conscience. Not so much referring to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the, in the garden, which is where... They wanted to have everything. He said, but he showed us good and evil. Thus, we have within us a voice of conscience, which is connected to a mind for thinking, reason. We've got to think it through. That doesn't mean that conscience is, if I like it, it's good. If I don't, it's evil. That's the definition of conscience that's floating around even in the church today. You know, what do you feel? What you want? Okay for you? Okay for me. Go for it. 
That is not conscience. We need to think it through. Is it good? Is it evil? And we need an understanding. And an ego is not conscience either. That's the one mistake in the great film, A Man for All Seasons. A big mistake, but only one. It tells a lot about St. Thomas More. And of course, he died for conscience because he would not sign something he did not believe in. In this particular case, that the king could be the pope, essentially, run the church and control other people's consciences. He couldn't sign that because he didn't believe in it. But in the Man for All Seasons, it's the impressions given that the point is because I don't want it, my conscience tells me I don't sign it. But if you read the letters of Thomas More near the end of his life, of which we have a good supply, what he was saying is that I have studied it, I've thought it through, I've examined what the popes and the fathers of the church and others have said, and my reason has helped me after much prayer to see that that king has no right to do what he's doing. Therefore, I cannot do it. They said to him, is it because St. John Fisher, your great friend, is not going to sign? Is that why you're not signing? He said, no, I'm not going to pin my conscience on any man's back, no matter how holy he is. So this is really important. And we actually we're facing it right now uh, in our own little Canada. Um, I mean, just check the box. I mean, forget it. Just a little box. Check the box, you know. Say that you don't, that you believe what you don't believe. And if you don't check the box, we're not going to give you help. We're not going to give you some of the taxpayers' money which you have given to us. That's what the government's saying right now. And they don't, I think they sincerely don't get it. They don't see what's the problem with that. What are you worried about? You know, so this knowledge of conscience is very important. He filled them with knowledge and understanding and showed them good and evil. He set his eye upon their hearts to show them the majesty of his works. And they will praise his holy name to proclaim the grandeur of his works. How great is your name, O Lord our God, through all the earth. I've just written a little short pastoral letter on the holy name of Jesus. We should think about the name and the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes uh, even the holy name of our blessed Lord is being used by secular folk, I think, who, well, good for them, but I mean, they don't, they don't, um, they just don't see. You don't trash the name of Jesus. And no, we shouldn't either. How great is your name, O Lord, because the name represents the person. He bestowed knowledge upon them and allotted them the law of life. What treasures? Knowledge. Not as good as wisdom, but it's a start. And the law of life, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, as he says in the Psalms. The law is not something that constricts us. The law is what allows us to be see where we're going. It leads us to life, the law of life. Now, it can be legalistic, but we get legalistic, and that's not what he's talking about. He established with them an eternal covenant and showed them his judgments. I will be your God and you will be my people. Covenant is important. He promises and he always will be with us. That's what we want in a friend, isn't it? We want a faithful friend. Someone who's with us. You know, a friend in need is a friend indeed. 
when we're in need and a person's a friend, these, a covenant means something you take seriously, something you commit yourself to every day. And that's, what, uh, that's the definition of marriage, too. A holy covenant between a man and a woman, faithful in love and open to the gift of life. The covenant is important. Their eyes saw his glorious majesty, and their ears heard the glory of his voice. Again, the eyes and the ears. We see, we hear in prayer, but mostly we hear the word of God and the sacred scriptures, his glorious voice. And we see his glorious majesty through the wonders he has made. And that leads us to be aware of the presence of God. And most fully on this earth until we see him face to face, we see his glorious majesty through the blessed sacrament. That's why we use tokens of worship and honor over the tabernacle, gold and fire, flame and light. It's just tokens. God doesn't need them. But we need them to be aware of his glorious majesty, which comes to us in such earthly form. Majesty, glory. But also, he said to them, beware of all unrighteousness. And he gave a commandment to each of them concerning his neighbor. God is the God of glory and creation. God is the God of history, the covenant, faithful with us all the time. And God is the Lord of the law, commandments to help us to live rightly. And which one of those is really God? And always, of course, the answer is yes. Are we to worship the God of creation, the God of history, the God of the law, of that gives light and life to us? All, this is what you sometimes call the Catholic and, Something alone is never very helpful, including us, but we need to see the wholeness. Let's ask the Lord to help us to see his glory, to follow his will, and to honor his name by who we are and by what we do. Their ways are always before him. He will not, they will not be hid from his eyes. He appointed a ruler for every nation, but Israel is the Lord's own portion. All their works are as the sun before them, before him, and his eyes are continually upon their ways. God is Lord of all. He appointed we, there is legitimate rulers of nations, which we, whom we do respect, even if we disagree with them. There are rulers, there are nations, there are laws, there are things like that. It's all part of the whole plan. All their works are as the sun before him. Just as like you can't walk out on a sunny day without noticing the sun. God notices everything, obviously. His eyes are continually upon their ways. Their iniquities are not hidden from him, and all their sins are before the Lord. That's it. We're, there we are. I remember once reading, I think it's somewhere, I remember hearing, I don't even know who wrote it, um, but one of the fathers of the church said, 
one of the reasons we're not sinning is that we can sin secretly now, but at the last judgment, everyone will know all our sins. That's an awful thought. <laughs> but um, whatever it is, God knows our sins, and he calls us to repentance. And yet there is goodness. We're not fleeing hell. We're on our way to heaven. We're not just rejecting sin. We need to fill our life with virtue. That's the way to live. In fact, it's practically the way to deal with our sins, is to find the opposite virtue and fill us up, just like Bishop Sheen always says, fill the box with salt and there's no room for the pepper. That's it. Don't concentrate on the pepper getting rid of it. Just fill the box with salt and the pepper goes out the other end. Well, fill our life with virtue. And by the way, get rid of the vice, whatever it may be. So a man's almsgiving is like a signet with the Lord. It's the signet ring, which you stamp on the documents, is, is like his name. It is his very self. A man's almsgiving is like his very self with the Lord. And he will keep a person's kindness like the apple of his eye. I always wonder about that expression, the apple of his eye. So I checked it out. It's in a lot of the Psalms. It's, what it means is the center of the eye. And it, it's actually what it says, that's what it talks about in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek and translations, the center. And because the center looks kind of dark, people would call it like, it's like a little apple in the eye. It's the center, it's the, right, the very, through which, we, it's a hole really through which we see, the pupil through which we see. And pupil actually, I found this out, a little obscure bit of, useless bit of information when I'm checking this out. Pupil means a little person. And so when you look in someone's eye, you see a little reflection of yourself, a little person. And a little person in school is called a pupil too. Well, that's a little bit of useless information. But the apple of the eye is a little expression. This is not in Hebrew. They don't have like the word for apple in the eye. But it's that little thing that looks like a little, a little dark thing, a little apple in the eye. But the term in English goes right back to King Alfred, the old English. So what it means is it, the most precious thing. Our eyes are very precious. Believe me, I'm going to be having a little, a little eye operation there. They're very precious. Nothing gets you more nervous than somebody working on your eyes. It's very precious to us. And we're very touchy about our eyes. And a person's kindness is very precious to the Lord God. Afterwards, he will arise and requite them. He will bring their recompense upon their heads if they do wrong. And yet to those who repent, he grants a return. He encourages those whose endurance is failing. Turn to the Lord, forsake your sins. Pray in his presence and lessen your offenses. Now after marveling at the beauty of creation and seeing how God has given us a mind to see and think and the knowledge of good and evil, and the fact we do, however, turn aside, he says, turn to the Lord. He sounds like a prophet. Turn to the Lord, forsake your sins. Pray in his presence and lessen your offenses. Return to the Most High, turn away from iniquity, and hate abominations intensely. Who will sing the praises to the Most High in Hades, or to those as to those who are alive and give thanks? In other words, tick, 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 while time is here, now is the time to turn. Do it before it is too late. From the dead as from one who does not exist, thanksgiving has ceased. He who is alive and well sings the Lord's praises. At this time, before our Lord, they had a little, a very undeveloped idea of what happens after death. 
was still a bit on the way, and this is a little bit undeveloped. They didn't have much of a sense of heaven, hell, or purgatory, or anything. Just something shady, kind of dark. How great is the mercy of the Lord and his forgiveness for those who turn to him. For all things cannot be in men, since the Son of Man is not immortal. We can be immoral, but we're not immortal. There we are. What is brighter than the sun? Yet its light fails. So flesh and blood devise evil. Here we are. We're all bound to fade. Time will be up. What do we do? Even the sun is gone once we're gone where you don't see it anymore. And the sun itself is not forever. And so flesh and blood devise evil. He marshals the hosts of the heights of heaven. This is the Lord God. The hosts of the heights of heaven. How majestic again is the Lord. But all men are dust and ashes. And so we need to think about that. A kind of a cheery chipper faith is a little bit out of touch, a little unreal. It should be joyful. We are joyful and we thank God for the gifts he has given us as we hear in these words of Sirach. We should be grateful because God has given us so much. Our faith should be realistic because God has given us a mind to see what's really out there. Our faith is not when I wish upon a star. It's not what people who have no faith think people who have faith have. It is a sort of security blanket. No, our faith, faith and reason go together. As St. John Paul said, they're like the two wings on which we fly to God. So our faith is reasonable, although it goes beyond reason, takes us further. But our faith is not naive. It's not unreal. It must be freed from slavery to the ego, as must our reason as well. Because our reason can make it think that what I think is what is right, and I block out other people's voices. That's when we terminate conversations, as we do in our society. We don't want to hear someone saying what we don't want to hear because it might be right. So we shut them down, shut them down, race into the auditorium, stop the speaker, stop the speaker. That's what happens. Amazingly often in universities of all places, but it also happens everywhere. So we can fear reason, fear rational discourse. Whenever that happens and people are reduced to slogans, we're in deep, deep trouble. But faith helps us to see what is truly there, to thank God for the blessings of creation and of our own lives, but to be humbly aware of our need for mercy and God's forgiveness. That is so beautiful and so profound, and it's all found in chapter 17 of the book of Sirach, as elsewhere, of course, throughout the whole Bible and throughout our whole the faith of the church. Whenever people put down reason and substitute a kind of emotional substitute for faith, we are in deep trouble. Whenever someone says, 
what I think I want to do, that's what God wants me to do, because I want to do it. Then we're making ourselves God. And that's what Adam and Eve tried to do in the Garden of Eden. It's not a good plan, really. <laughs> so we must be humble, thankful, humble in seeing our own frailty, and thankful in seeing the gifts that God has given to us. The Lord created man out of earth and turned him back to it again. He gave to men few days, a limited time, but granted them authority over the things upon the earth. He endowed them with strength like his own and made them in his own image. He placed the fear of them in all living beings and granted them dominion over beasts and birds. He made them for them tongue and eyes. He gave them ears and a mind for thinking. He filled them with knowledge and understanding and showed them good and evil. He set his eye upon their hearts to show them the majesty of his works. And they will praise his holy name to proclaim the grandeur of his works. He bestowed knowledge upon them and allotted to them the law of life. He established with them an eternal covenant and showed them his judgments. Their eyes saw his glorious majesty and their ears heard the glory of his voice. And he said to them, Beware of all unrighteousness. And he gave commandment to each of them concerning his neighbor. Their ways are always before him. They will not be hid from his eyes. He appointed a ruler for every nation. But Israel is the Lord's own portion. All their works are as the sun before him, and his eyes are continually upon their ways. Their iniquities are not hidden from him, and all their sins are before the Lord. A man's almsgiving is like a signet with the Lord, and he will keep a person's kindness like the apple of his eye. Afterward, he will arise and requite them, and he will bring them recompense on their heads. Yet to those who repent, he grants a return and he encourages those whose endurance is failing. Turn to the Lord and forsake your sins. Pray in his presence and lessen your offenses. Return to the Most High and turn away from iniquity and hate abominations intensely. Who will sing praises to the Most High in Hades as to those who are alive and give thanks? From the dead, as from one who does not exist, thanksgiving has ceased. He who is alive and well sings the Lord's praises. How great is the mercy of the Lord and his forgiveness for those who turn to him. For all things cannot be in men, since the Son of Man is not immortal. What is brighter than the sun? Yet its light fails. So flesh and blood devise evil. He marshals the hosts of the heights of heaven. 
but all men are dust and ashes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.